Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Pleasure to be, pleasure to be here. Andre Vanderbalk, I'm one of the uh, global CTOs in Tanzu, VMware. Primarily focus on a lot of the executive advisory roles. I work with a lot of the Fortune 500 companies and their executives around transforming their organization. I actually came from a customer originally from when I uh, joined Pivotal. I worked with Charles Schwab as an executive role, primarily in the technology space. So all the yeah. core technologies, so all brokerage, retirement, and stock purchase programs as well. So the topic we were going to talk about, basically, I don't know, a grander idea behind DevSecOps, a phrase that we in Tanzu land use a lot. When we use that word, a huge part uh, of what it means is basically, as you would say, having a trusted supply chain, which is essentially, I have this piece of software that I'm running. I want to make sure I trust the provenance of it. I want to trust everything that happened and I can make sure to not only patch things, but I also want to like be able to figure out how much do I trust this piece of software based on what I know about where it came from and who built it and all of that 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 sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting time because and that's why I want to step back a little bit and put it in perspective what these things mean. If, if you think the whole DevOps motion that people have been talking about, it's the code du jour currently. What's going on? Everybody loves talking about these things. And can I adding more words to it? Sec is now part of this. And I was reading another book the other day, but fin FinOps. So now we're going to add financial pieces to it. So you keep throwing at the same thing, but you have to stop back and what does it mean? Like what are you trying to really so the analogy I tend to use is similar as in the, if you go to the grocery store and you look at a product that you pick up, you can rationalize as an individual over what is in the product. Mm. So it has a set of ingredients that tells you and informs you, I eat this product. Am I allergic to the nuts that is in my Nutella? To use some of your, your video analogies. But so can you rationalize over that? What's in it? But then also you want to have a level of when they actually say things that are in there, can you trust it as well? So there's like, for example, or, organic. They, a vendor can say it's organic, but is it organic? So do you have ways of kind of rationalizing over the product. What's happening more and more in the, in the industry, like back in the day, you only had maybe had one or two vendors that you had an implicit trust in the software industry, right? You could go, for example, VMware or Microsoft or fill in the blanks and I pay them a check so I implicitly trust what, they, what they're doing. But more and more, the, the supply chain has exploded because you have so many different more vendors and also open source contributors from countries that you might or might not have a positive reaction to that software came from those industries. So that's why I've been touting more of this notion, like you need to create trust in the supply chain because by default, we used to just implicitly trust, but now with all the, the vulnerabilities that have happened, SolarWind being an example, is you need to have a way of rationalizing that, that trust. Can you actually trust what has been done and what's been said in that particular space? And it gets to the question of what are those things that allow you to trust those things, right? The same way that you walk in the grocery store and then the vendor says, yeah, this is in there. Sure. Do you trust the guy or, or is there a way of verifying that what you have what you've done? And the classical way that, that people have done this is in, in security space is, okay, I'll install hundreds of different scanners and then maybe I can then find things. But what if you can turn it around and instead of doing things up front where you look at an artifact or look at the attestation of an artifact and say, yes, I, I trust what the vendor has said because I have a way of verifying and it's attested to, to these pieces. So that's how I've been thinking about this is that you have a set of concerns that you're really trying to address. So let me step that forward in the industry, for example, in financial services. We were chatting about this a little bit earlier, but big concern is things around compliance and regulatory concerns. Most of those 
really look at what are the steps that you have done to make the sausage per se. And what they want is a way of verifying that you have done what you said you would do. It's like carbon actually type of approach in a manual way. But how can you codify those concerns into your supply chain? Because at the end of the day, your supply chain is just a flow of materials that, that you're working with. But you have also other regulatory like the HIPAA, PCI compliance that trying to rationalize over these set of concerns. In the United States, there's uh, the NIST Institute that has started to articulate what things should you be looking for from your software to say, is this um, a good thing or a bad thing? And currently, we don't have the tooling in place for beyond scanning, essentially, to rationalize over something arriving at your doorstep. So the way I break this down is you have a set of phases in the supply chain. Each of it, you can rationalize over what's happening. So if you break it down, like first you have, you start off with the basic things in supply chain, supply, like where's the supply, the raw materials coming from. So you open source projects, vendors, etc. And thinking through that, like where did they get the pieces from? Have they done testing? Have they done scanning? What are all the components that are inside of the, the raw materials? So this is what we typically been calling like the build materials, even in the physical side or digital build materials and really specify things around what's in the product like using a nutella example what is in there what nuts are in there what chocolate is in there where is it coming from have they tested it what is the quality assurance that they have done around this particular piece so you can then define that in a bill of materials in a way but you also the other key ingredient with that is you have to make sure that you attest to those things as well so beyond just saying i i put a label on my product and say this is in it you need to actually sign it sign off on it the fact that yes it is in there there's maybe a third party that verified that those things were in there as well. And the reason you do really do that is so that when you take that into inventory in a company, you take a piece of software, you can quickly inspect that build materials and say, you know what, I like what you have here. I am allergic to nuts, so I'm not going to do this. Or there's CVEs in it that I don't care for. Or you haven't done enough testing to doing these things. So which is an interesting notion because this part is the regulatory bodies in the United States are starting to make some suggestions of companies should really provide a build of material, just like the what they've done in the food industry. Like you should really say what's in it. And we've done it this in hardware for a long time. So why doesn't software have this concept? Let's go in reverse order here. So as you're just mentioning the, so there's this idea that the reason you have a bill of materials, you know, to, to slightly go off the the food analogy, being allergic to something's a good metaphor for uh, security concerns. But in anyone who might want to consume a piece of software, let's say a, a bank gets some software that does whatever. Let's pick my favorite benign example. It's a pagination system. They have a framework that paginates. It's tax collecting season in the US. You got to go find all your expenses. You need some framework that paginates everything for you in the UI. And no one should write that framework on their own. That's a bad idea. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So you're going to go find some pagination framework in whatever language that you have. And that's displaying to the end user critical data. So that could be a, a point of whatever leakage of some bad things. One, one would want to know when we're looking at this pagination framework, can we trust it? And one of the things, as you were saying, is it's good to have a bill of materials. Probably the pagination framework uses other libraries. And those libraries use other libraries. There's a bunch of dependencies. So you need to have this bill of materials that says, what is everything that it, it's, uh, it contains and uh, what version are they? And then yep. as it's, okay, so that's me defining it for myself. But, you're doing a great job. And so in that area, as you're saying, talk to this idea that 
we've done this for hardware, but not for software. What is that like when you get a chip? Is there like a bill of materials that comes in it or storage? Or what does that bill of materials look like for hardware? Yeah, it's interesting. So if you look at a lot of hardware, a lot of them have, even when you order it, it has a list of SKUs that tells you all the different parts. And you can actually rationalize that where some of the, like, where does the silicon come from? Which company Intel provided right. right? Yeah. So you can have some pieces of it. It's still not perfect in all sense. But to use your analogy, which you have for some of the UI components, currently a developer just has implicit trust. It's just, just an, an NPM, install the package, poof, it's there. But you have a trusted all the things that when the, that the package contains, and most of the developers don't know what's inside of the package. They just know like, I need this library and magic happens. On the hardware side, to a certain extent, you can rationalize over it because there is a an actual piece of paper that says what is all the stuff that's in it. And so it creates this direct acyclical graph per se that shows this component uses this component of this version, et cetera. And you can walk that piece to understand like at each component, where did it come from? Who created it? What were the vulnerabilities in that particular component? Is there licensing concerns? Because this is another part that people forget, like certain libraries have licensing that actually requires you to contribute back. So to, to your example, so if you use that particular library and you make changes, and now you have to contribute your code back to the community. Well, bank sure. might not want to do that. And so do you need to be able to say, okay, is this license conducive for me to, to do business? There's two other things. There's scanning. And that seems yep. to be like, especially when it comes to licensing, as you just mentioned, right? There's companies like, I, I think they're still around, like Black Duck and Palomita. I, I, way back when I was an analyst, I used to know them better. They'll literally like, and it's great for open source because you actually can get the code, but they'll scan your code and even your compiled code and generate fingerprints of everything. And they can tell you what you're using, essentially. Yep. And so when it comes to, to like scanning, because scanning is like, what would you call it? Post facto? What's the English for that? It, it's after the fact. Is that good enough? Or like what, how good is scanning things versus not? Like where does it fit into this idea of really understanding your, your supply chain? Yeah, I think more and more the, the scanners that definitely do a good job. But the problem is that if you CPU cycles in your environment, there's more about scanning continuously, yeah. taking it away from actually doing actual work. So I have to have an hypothesis that you, if you have the right attestation, trusted, you can eliminate actually a lot of scanning because what you can now do is say, yeah, I have a level of trust with some risk parameter that I allow things into the environment. It doesn't take away all the scanning. Don't get me wrong. There's always some level of, of piece. But to use an analogy, Kote, like if I take the Nutella, if you go to the grocery store, then do you take it home and spread it out on your table and then get a lab and say, hey, take a look at my Nutella before I eat it? It, it's, if you have to do that every single time to understand like what are the ingredients and all that, that just takes away of what you're really trying to accomplish is to use the, the software. And then so the next thing, to, let's continue the analogy. We'll stick with, apparently you have a Nutella obsession. I don't know why. We joke because I have these little videos where I take I put Nutella on things and taste them and see what it's like. Anyways, this brings together another thing I, I wanted to talk about is that I'm always interested in why are we talking about this thing now? Like this is security is like one of those things where things have always been secure or not. It's always an issue. And I, I was thinking like, let's, I'll see how far we can stretch this analogy. One of the things that comes up nowadays with doing like cloud native development, or let's just call it development nowadays, is you can go through a coding deployment cycle so quick that to your point, scanning wouldn't necessarily be feasible to scan the entire stack, right? Over here, as I'm sure you're familiar with, there's booking.com and they're renowned for doing like thousands of tests a week or a day, like different variations of things. If you were doing like 2000 deploys a week, 
like that would be scanning would start to take too much time. Similarly, if I came home and I made 100 Nutella sandwiches and it took me like three minutes to lab scan them, each sandwich, that would be impractical. So never mind the practicality of 100 Nutella sandwiches. It, it's almost as you're saying, you need another way where you can more deterministically not have to scan something. And so scanning reaches a limitation if you're deploying multiple times a day, essentially. And at the very least, when it comes to code, you need to know a smaller amount of things to scan than the entire stack of software that you have. Yeah, it just becomes a complex problem at that point. It's like Intel famously said a long time ago, it's like, if we had to scan and test every permutation in the Intel processor, we would never release a new processor because it would take <laughs> right. them so long to do this stuff. So companies forward doing every scanning, any permutation that might potentially exist. It's just it's too much to, to do. And that's where the problem comes in. So that at some level, where I come back to the supply chain, you have to instill trust in it. You trust certain vendors, you trust certain things based on some risk scoring, relative risk scoring. And there's some interesting research being going on in this area. But can I create some relative risk scoring of what I get into the door and make my decisions based on that number. And that's a factor of what is the impact potentially, the number of CVEs and whatnot versus in trying to scan the whole thing. You can really take what the vendor has said and there's some level of attestation, credit, accreditation that, that might happen. That makes sense. So then hopefully this won't be too much of a abstract rabbit hole to dump on the table <laughs> right here. But any, anytime people come up with things like attestation, that's a funny word way to say it, or trusting the bill of materials. And, and then that immediately, like in the, the, the modern way of thinking about security, it's all about like risk management and expressing the risk to a decision maker who then yep. makes a decision, less or no. And especially since you have experience on, on the actual, whatever you would call them, customer side, on, on the side of companies who, who go through this, like that always seems nice until like you're on the wrong side of the risk assessment and then people get fired. And I don't mean that in a flippant way, but there's something about understanding like a risk assessment that I don't quite that I don't quite appreciate yet because it's almost like when if I say I'm 95% sure everything's cool with this security thing and then it's just the way statistics and percentages work that means there's a 5% chance that it's not cool 90% confidence interval that's where you're trying to go and and then so for example let me try to ground it some it's like for every big solar winds blow up there are 90 there's I guess 90 more didn't blow up yeah. and those were cool but it's I, I just it's always like how do you deal with that 10% because it seems like if you're in that 10% of failure, no one cares, right? No one's like, we gave you the risk assessment. These were the numbers, but we were just on the wrong side of it. Or am I thinking about it completely wrong? And it's not that you want 90%, you want 99.999%, right? Yeah. It's interesting though. If you think about what risk assessments really are, are trying to do, is you're trying to quantify it for those that do it well, that you're trying to quantify what's the impact. Like if there's no impact, then there's no, you don't care too much about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what's, hap what's happened is the way things in the industry has prevailed with this, with these risk assessments, like this is like the compliance department coming down or the security department, hey, I shall have so much or less risk. But yeah. there's no context with these things. And we're trying to do this through process, like Serban Oxley or any of the other ones that are out there. If somebody comes out there with this large spreadsheet of 500 controls that Dicell meets, and if Dicell not meet it, then your risk is high. But it doesn't have any rationale in the sense of if I put, if I put this in my 
little cup over here and it's not doing anything with customer data, so what? But the problem is that we're using spreadsheets and processes to rationalize over this versus to circle back to DevSecOps is codifying ways to instill this in part of your flow of what you're trying to do and then have a better risk determination based on actually what's something that tests to or that you can verify. Yeah, no, I, I like that. that. I'll have to think about that for a while because I think what you pointed out is a lot of the risk management conversation I have encountered over the years, as you're joking, is like, is about a number or like a percentage. But, and I'm sure as with all process like this, the intention is never for the following state. It just yeah. ends up being that way. Whereas what that one number lacks is context. And that context being two, at least two things. One is to put it in another flippant way. What's the worst that could happen, right? <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Never mind that it's 99.99%. What, it, so, what so, happened? So, what does that yeah. lead to? And, and then the other part of context is not only what's the worst that could happen, but what am I giving up? The going through the analysis of getting of that risk assessment should include what that context is so that you can really make that kind of assumption or not assumption. You can make that kind of thinking. And so you can figure out like we are willing to take on this risk because we want this outcome as a common day thing. Yeah. And then we understand the risks that we're taking. I don't know if this is actually true, but I would. it would be fun to think like, if we take on this risk, we can hedge by getting some insurance over here that if something bad happens and we all agree that- I like that analogy because you could, to a certain extent, associate, like insurance companies are actually good at this, assessing risk. Yeah, that's um, basically what they do is risk assessment. You see the rover behind me, but I worked at NASA for a while. And one of the things that they've done very well is risk assessment. And there's this, this notion of a two by two matrix. So the context is really also, it's, you look at what the impact is, but the other dimension is the likelihood for it to occur. So that's yep. a part of the context. So you can then map out, if you get a CVE in, what's the likelihood of that being exposed? It might be in a container and nothing happens. So that part is, you need to get to that motion where you, everything in your risk, you assess it based on those two dimensions, but you need to have a way of codifying those capabilities. When things come into your inventory in the company from your supply chain, say, oh, I can now rationalize over this. What's the likelihood of this happening? And it takes a little bit human intervention to a certain extent, knowing the context of an application. So getting back to the, the trusted supply chain sort of thing, I think that's an interesting, not consequence, but not feature, but uh, capability capability you would want to have out of a trusted supply chain is, as you're teaching me there, is I would like to be able to assess the, assess the trade-offs that I'm doing. And using classic productivity thing, it's not only that I want to assess the trade-offs by like you giving me maximal information. I want you to like minimize the amount of noise. Even It may yeah. be positive noise, but I don't want to know about every single thing or like spend time scanning every single thing. F figure out the optimal set of information that you can put in front of some people so that they can decide on the trade-offs. And the trade-offs might be like, no, I don't trust it. Go back. Yeah, yeah I guess but that's what happens with scanners to a certain extent. To talk back, it's, it's the same as if you get so much information, you get so much noise. What you really want, again, is trying to find the signal to noise or reduce the signal to noise ratio. And there's some interesting software already that people are trying to come up with to rationalize over the supply chain, like dependency tracker is an example of mm. an open source project where you can bring it in and you can actually see the CVEs, right? And then have a way of, in context, associate some risk scoring with that. And so instead of looking at, oh, CVEs are high, medium or low, and based on that, making determination, that's kind of noise 
in the overall perspective. But getting yeah. it down to this notion of, okay, what is a relative risk score that I can do? And then systematically, like what flows into production, to base it on a risk score versus on high, medium, or low CVEs, right? Because the, the volatility and the velocity on the CVEs is just going to increase more and more as we move into the software, software industry. You just want to be able to rationalize more on a risk basic. All right. So let's see if we get back to the main. So I cut you off yeah, at uh, bill of material generation. Yeah. So yeah. So bill of material is kind of like one of those first, like what are the ingredients? But the other thing that the industry needs with this is uh, a way of testing to this as well. To give an example, mm-hmm. like you can slap yeah. a label on, on the product and do you just a guy that made this or is there a way of attesting to it? So create some credibility is important to establish trust. So for example, is that the, the FDA in the United States or is it some institution that can attest that the Yes, that vendor has provided the right material or whatnot. So like an example that we're starting to do like in, in Vietnam, our yeah. application catalog in Tanzu, what I'm really excited about is that we are actually doing a lot of the tests we're creating a bill of material, the CVEs, and we're doing it as part of a process. And then the next thing is to test to that as well. So cryptographically signing that or a third party through an audit mechanism, verifying that what we've done is actually true. So that creates an excitement because now a customer can then take a look at that and say, ah, you've done the things and I've got attestation in place as well. But the interesting thing with attestation, it's not just saying that the stuff that's in there, it's also what are the processes that you've used? So for example, in the development space, has a developer created tests, unit tests, for example. Great. Have they checked in what it was the, the PR that they did? QA, have they done their, their job, right? Or if there's some other scanning. Those steps along that flow need to be attested to as well. And there's interesting things in industry happening with this. It's like there's frameworks like in Toto that starts up. You can certify every step that you've taken. So like in mm-hmm. the factory, when you're making the product, as it moves inside of the factory, every step that has happened in the factory, can you test that it actually has happened? Like using SolarWind as an example, this wouldn't have solved the SolarWind problem, just don't get me wrong. But the steps that we're taking to build the piece of software, could you inspect it to say, yes, testing has occurred. Yes, it was built by this person or it was built by this machine over here. What does that look like? Is that a manual process or like cyborg process, manual <laughs> and automated? Or like, just to, just to let me make a really simple example. We have someone specify a feature in our pagination framework. So that's one step. Then we have a developer write the feature in the pagination thing. I don't know. They want to use two dots in the middle instead of listing 500 pages, whatever. And then, so then someone has to test that and then you bundle that into a a build, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you upload that to a website. And I only mention that because there's a step, I don't know what you call this, but there's a step of making sure I got the actual build, <laughs> like verifying. So like with the in Toto, what does it do in each of those steps? So first you define what the steps are, right? Yeah. And then any transition from one step to another step gets certified, like signed, essentially. Okay. And so an easy analogy, if we're already familiar with using Git for the most part, right? So you're already implicitly doing this by to say, hey, I do a pull request, right? You've signed it, you get a signature, but it's not cryptographically signed for, for any means. It's more of like a hash that happens. So in total, what that allows you to do is more in general terms, say, what are the steps? And along the way, you can sign the fact that you have performed that step. So now you can rationalize more over, have you done all the steps that you've said you would do, like testing? Okay, so what you're doing basically is you're verifying that someone did something. And so part of what you're trusting is the meatware sort of pipeline there, like the people. But you basically want to know this person said they did this thing, right? This product manager signed off on the feature. This developer signed off on checking it in. And we can also verify that what we have 
is actually what they did instead of another thing. And then this QA person, we can verify that this exact QA person or entity said they did the on and on. And so there's nothing like magic about like, and then also some AI came in and looked at it and made sure that they were (laughs) actually doing what they said they were doing. It just lets you track like an individual's saying, yes, I did this Mm -hmm. thing. If you think about a lot of compliance, right? If you actually go through that, 500 step compliance checklist. Most of them actually have these things like, oh, what is your flow? Have you accomplished QA? And, uh, and currently it's, yeah, sure, just check the box and move on. But this gives you more of a automated way to attach sure. to these things. And like, yeah, yeah. if you start thinking like our, our build service, right? As it builds the different pieces, yeah, you can attest that it has done these things. You've done the test, the testing capabilities. I'm not saying that every piece of software will do this because ideally you want to establish trust at a higher level first, right? Have you have a build material? Great. Then the next level is, are you doing the things that you said you would do for your software? Like testing yeah. and all that. That's kind of like the next level of trust that's going to happen in the industry. So what's interesting is that obviously the customers are wanting to to do this on software that they get from their vendors. Open source community is starting to make a lot of headway in this space as well. Like Debian and some other open source product, they're, they're starting to embed some of these capabilities. But then the interesting becomes now is that inside of organizations that build software, if they want to be more of a, a leader and elite software company, they're getting currently bogged down by a lot of the compliance and security things. And so using the same principles and capabilities, codifying that in their own internal flow of the supply chain, right? The building right. processes, it starts, you start getting higher velocity now because you're not like, oh, wait, I need to schedule a compliance check with X, Y, and Z in the organization. And now we're a couple of weeks away from actually deploying, deploying to production. Or like what you said, like certain cases, uh, they're preventing us from going to production because they say the, the relative risk score is high. And then everybody starts unpacking this, like, well, why is it high? What is it causing? And emails back and forth that, that start happening. You, you want to codify those mechanisms. And, and so what would you say is like the current like status quo broadly of like large organizations managing their supply chain? Yeah, I think they haven't gotten to the codification piece beyond like doing the scanning. That's kind of yeah. the, the first basic step that the uh, compliance department say, hey, Dysol scan everything into a harbor registry or Sonotype or fill the banks. And then they assign well, it has a high level of CVEs and then they have exception processes in place. So the maturity level is still like a one, I would say. We're still in that scanning phase. We're not ne- nearly to what I would call making rational decisions, what goes into production based on some set of attributes that the, the software has. The yeah, supply yeah. chain, the attestation. Yeah, my impression from talking with people when they ask about this is that it's a lot of what you're alluding to. There's emails going back and forth, right? That just simply extracting the information you would need to like do a security assessment is not automated at all. Like it's really time consuming. And maybe even if it is automated, each team of developers automates it a different way or that there's multiple ways of automating it, which just adds more cognitive friction to doing these yeah, things. Yeah. Where So that almost feels like one of the, the first steps to like just doing software better is like, you got to automate this stuff, yeah. right? There needs to be a way of essentially, you're doing the same security and audit checks. You just don't have to do so much of it in email. You can just get, get that, that not even yeah, bill of materials. I don't even know what you would call that. What it like the raw ingredients of doing a security audit, like all that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think the level of automation right now is that Sonotype or any of the scanners finds this vulnerability and automatically a ticket gets created into and put in your backlog mm-hmm. for remediation. That's about the level of, of automation, right? Nothing that moves it up to the up to the supply chain, like the shifting left piece that it's, hey, the developers automatically have this way of rationalizing other things to, to take or not 
not take software or attesting to the steps that they do. I think we're we're getting closer. There's some of the capabilities, but it, people think of it as a complex problem to solve. And as you put security in the DevSecOps word or whatever we want to call it, you have to have codification and automation capabilities to, to really rationalize other things. Okay, so far, have we reached, I interrupt and ask questions so much, I lose track of That's the right. narrative thing here, but have we reached the end of the uh, the trusted supply chain? Where are we positioned now? Yeah, I think we're getting to the point of inventory and, and build building. But the other part is that even customers that ship software, now you have to start thinking about how do you distribute this as well? So how do you make the build materials? How do you make it at a station? Because mm. even us as a software, there's 50 million different ways of supplying this build material. So there's some interesting notion here. There's some proof of concepts happening in, for some of the energy space in the US. Do you do centralizing all these build materials, right? Google is working on a project and some other ones like, do you put it all in one place and people can download it? Well, what happens if that gets compromised, right? Or do you use a, a distributed way, there's distributed ledger mechanisms to making this available. So I think there's work that's being done in that space. It hasn't settled. What's an ideal way of distributing your build materials? Like even the with Docker and OCI, could you make it be, just be part of your image that you get? Just like in the food store that the product has a label stuck on it, then you can actually see it. So the industry is working on that aspect of it as well. That's but, interesting. You mentioned it there without saying the, the blockchain word, but that would be, that's a perfect non-monetary application of blockchain stuff. We have these multiple parties that all, uh, that uh, attest to a fact happening. So they could attest to the attestation essentially, and then distribute it all out. And which is still like you get, if you get a, a trusted bad actor, then that's no good, but whatever. That's the way it goes. Yeah, there's no 100% guarantee with any anything. But it, it, the Sherpa Ledger it has some promises there in the sense of some consensus mechanism. It's a multi-party system, right? If you take a look at those properties and cap capabilities, it could have some benefit in, in doing this. And you can have third-party certification as part of it. For example, you might ship your software to somebody else. They verify these things as well, attest to it, and now it goes back to the, the chain of trust for all intents and purposes. And then like you're saying, the second part is for software that you're making your own. You don't necessarily want to publish all the stuff you have, right? Right? Like I'm sure all the way from retail to banking to missiles, like you don't necessarily want to have a bill of materials out there for anyone to consume to figure out like all the components you have in those things, which means you need to have more of a, a private way of doing all of that and, yep. and hosting yep. it internally, which is another side. Yeah, that's a really good point you make right there because I haven't actually thought about it in those terms, but there is like the double blinders type of approach where certain people can look at the ingredients per se, but other people cannot. So yeah, so that part hasn't quite been figured out yet. I think there's some promising technology and capabilities in that area, but we do need to get to some level that says, okay, how do you concerns? Because without it, it's just implicit trust and we see sometimes how that turns out this is good because i think what we've laid out let's just call them we've laid out the problem or the requirements or the things that we would like and i think we had a little bit of discussion of why this is an issue nowadays and and that being that to use the old uh, phraseology except genuinely here things change so quickly nowadays you generally are doing faster and faster releases so you have to do more and more of these checks which back to our 100 nutella sandwiches becomes a problem it's just no matter how quick you can do a scan if you're doing it thousands of times it's going to add up eventually is so that that brings in the the need for this stuff. Yeah, no, that's good. 
That's good. Do you have anything else we should go over before we wrap up? No, I think a few things. I really enjoyed the conversation. I tell you, it's yeah. really, I love talking about this topic. I think there's a lot of work still ahead of us, but I'm encouraged about what's happening from a regulatory perspective that they're starting to be concerned about these things, obviously, and simplifying. But the industry also corralling around this notion of how do I create more trust um, as well. And I think at the end, it's just to take a playbook from Apple, right, is that it sells, trust sells. So if you're like the vendor in this vendor space that is able to do this and instill this, I think there's a good financial incentive to, to do this. The, the piece around this is, is I don't think people are going to be spreading around from a marketing perspective. Hey, we're the most trusted piece. I think it will become self-evident, right? Are you going to go to the grocery store that it's easy and convenient for you to see these things? Or do you go to the one that you're going to have to struggle? Wait, we have incidents and whatnot. So yeah. that's the thing with, with trust is like what I mentioned earlier, it's it takes a long time to gain, easy to lose. But that first part of gaining that, you'll maintain it for a long time. I think for that's sure. the, the value we provide. All right. If people wanted to poke around at things that you're up to, you have a, a web blog a Twitter account you would send them to? What, what's something yeah. you want to promote for yourself? Check out my Twitter or just uh, LinkedIn. I post and share some things once in a while out there. We have a VMworld session that we did last year about this topic as well. Be glad to, to share that. All right. I'll put some links to that wherever wherever I post this, whether it's in whether you find this in YouTube or in the podcast or whatever, I'll, I'll link to those things. Great. Well, thanks for uh, going over this stuff. And I'll, as always, this has been uh, a Tanzu Talk. You can always go to uh, tanzutalk.com and find all of that. And with that, We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.